we'll sing the song forever and amen. And Lord God, in your scriptures it says in Revelation 5, and they sang a new song saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. Then I looked, and I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders the voice of many angels numbered, numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying, to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb, be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And all the four living creatures said, Amen, and the elders fell down and worshiped. We praise you, Lord Jesus, for your great work of redemption on our behalf, that you gave yourself in our place, that we might have eternal life, the forgiveness of sins, and the hope of eternal life. We pray this morning that you would fill us with continual thoughts of praise as we look into your word this morning. You would teach us how to live our lives in a way that please you today. We want you to hear us as we sing holy to you, to the King of Kings, for you will always be the Holy One. And it's in your name we pray, amen. Well, before we get into our passage in Colossians this morning, I just wanted to give you a brief update on my health condition. Don't do this often, but when there are new updates, I want to make sure everyone knows. So a lot of you probably know that my scans came back, um, that I, cancer has returned. And so I started uh, four rounds of chemo. It started on Wednesday. I actually feel pretty good today. Um, but the reason they're um, encouraged by it is that the response last time to the chemo treatment was very, very positive. So we're just praying for the Lord's healing and that this again would be the case and that this time uh, God would finally uh, eradicate the cancer. That would be the hope and the prayer. So I appreciate so much your prayers for me and for our family and for the church. And, uh, and so it's a great testimony too to others that uh, are whole in the whole cancer care sphere just to hear about um, you know, what the Lord is doing here at this church, even in the midst of all of this, for all of us. So, well, we're going to continue now this morning and finish up our series that we've been doing on Colossians, a mini-series, really. We took a break from the Gospel of Luke. We'll be back there next week. But we're finishing up Colossians chapter 3. And when you think about, when a lot of Christians think about, well, what passage in the Bible really talks a lot about how we should live together as believers, Colossians 3 is one of those passages that comes right to mind. And so that's why we selected it. And it fits in so well with our theme this year on being content in Christ. That is just really simply finding our all in all in Jesus. That's what that means. And uh, so we're going to be talking about becoming a Christ-like community today from chapter 3 starting in verse 12 through 17. I also think, you know, there are a lot of things that come together on this day. I don't know if you know, but this is also Pentecost Sunday. And uh, I think, well, this is a great day to be at this passage in Colossians chapter 3 as well because... As we learned last week, our confidence in growth in our Christian life doesn't come from ourselves. It can't, because we don't have the ability to do it. 
Our confidence for growth really comes from the Holy Spirit that's operating in our lives and in our midst. And that's what we see in our passage this morning as well. Now, in an unusual way, I want, I want to begin with a quotation from a book. I don't usually do that, but, you know, back when I got saved in college, one of the first little booklets that someone gave me or I picked up was called Life Together by Dietrich Bonhoeffer. So I don't know if you know that book. It was written a long time ago, pre-World War II, Germany. 1938 was the original publication date on it. But Dietrich Bonhoeffer was a pastor and uh, in a pretty rough situation. And in this book, Life Together, it's very short, so I really encourage you to get it. You probably just get the whole script on, 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 online or something. But it's contrasting the human ideal that gets pushed into the church for what a Christian community should be with what the scriptures actually teach us about what Christian community should be. And so you probably heard this before at one point in your life, but I'm going to read it to you, just a couple paragraphs. So he writes, Innumerable times a whole Christian community has broken down because it had sprung from a wish dream. The serious Christian, set down for the first time in a Christian community, is likely to bring with him a very definite idea of what Christian life together should be and try to realize it. But God's grace speedily shatters such dreams. Just as surely as God desires to lead us to a knowledge of genuine Christian fellowship, so surely must we be overwhelmed by great disillusionment with others, with Christians in general, and if we are fortunate, with ourselves. By sheer grace, God will not permit us to live even for a brief period in a dream world. He does not abandon us to those rapturous experiences and lofty moods that come over us like a dream. God is not a God of the emotions, but a God of the truth. Only that fellowship with, which faces such disillusionment with all its unhappy and ugly aspects begins to be what it should be in God's sight begins to grasp in faith the promise that is given to it. The sooner this shock of disillusionment comes to an individual and to a community, the better for both. A community which cannot bear and cannot survive such a crisis, which insists upon keeping its illusion when it should be shattered, permanently loses in that moment the promise of Christian community. Sooner or later, it will collapse. And here's the most quoted part of this quotation. Every human wish dream that is injected into the Christian community is a hindrance to genuine community and must be banished if genuine community is to survive. He who loves his dream of community more than the Christian community itself becomes a destroyer of the latter even though his personal intentions may be ever of honest and earnest and be sacrificial. It's just one of the best quotations, I think, on Christian community, something I've meditated on over the years. And the question challenges us, especially when we come to this portion of Scripture in Colossians 3 with some questions, and that is, what kind of life do we want to live together? Are we living together? Is it our ideal that we're injecting, or is it God's reality that he would have us live out? And as serious Christians this morning, we want to follow Colossians chapter 3 in the teaching here, and so that's what we'll be looking at this morning. So let me read to you this passage. You can follow along in your 
bulletin. It's printed for you, so you can take notes on that. Colossians 3, 12 to 17. Put on, then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so also you must forgive. And above all these things, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you are called to one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. So as we talked about last week in verses 5 to 11, our new life in Christ is one of continual renewal, and we're supposed to put away sin, deal with it, right? As because God has dealt with it. Well, in our passage today, our new life in Christ, we know is a continual renewal again. It talks about it, but we're to continually be conformed to Christ. And there are changes, two changes that are mentioned in our passage. First of all, in verses 12 to 14, we're to display Christ's character. Display the character of Christ and then to live as his community in verses 15 to 17. So we're going to take a look at this passage here. So Romans 13, 14. You probably memorized this. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh in regard to its lusts. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh in regard to its lusts. Romans 13, 14. It's a summary of this whole section from verse 5 through verse 17. And so then when we get to verse 12 and it says, put on then, or maybe your version starts off so, or therefore. In other words, based on verse 10, this renewal that we're underneath, where he talks about that we are being renewed to knowledge after the image of its creator, we are then to do these final things. So first of all, our identity, which is really amazing. We often miss this part. Verses 12, just the beginning part, as God's chosen holy, and beloved. Those three words describe us as Christians. Chosen. Chosen by God himself. Before the creation of the world, the scriptures say. Holy. We're holy by the work of God in Christ on our behalf and for his glory. Not in and of ourselves. We're beloved in the eternal counsel and purposes of God now revealed to us and experienced by us. That's amazing, to be called chosen, holy, beloved. That's who we are. And this truth should cause us to give praise to his glorious grace. That's how the apostle begins his letter to the Ephesians in Ephesians chapter 1, where he says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to himself, according to the kind intention of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, which he freely bestowed on us in the beloved. Well, since this is our identity, what kind of people do you think we ought to be? And so we see five virtues that are listed right away in verses 12, 12b, where he talks about Then, put on compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, 
and patience. So the image is to put them on like clothing that fits. It's fitting to our identity. You know, we've constantly talked about how the Apostle Paul speaks about how we are now to be who we are. We're to live out the reality of how our life has been transformed by Jesus Christ. You see, these clothing items, these five items, these virtue clothes, they fit believers. They fit you very well. They don't fit unbelievers. You know, Christians can be truly virtuous by the Holy Spirit that's been given to us. And so they don't fit the worldly people because of the sin that still traps them and enslaves them and has power over their lives. But they fit believers because believers have been reborn and been renewed by the Holy Spirit. I want you to also notice something in the larger passage that you probably remember from last week in verse 5 that there were five sins of consumption of neighbor. Then there were five vices, right, of destruction of neighbor. Well, here now we have five virtues of loving our neighbor. So those five vices of consumption that we read were sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and greed. And then we talked about the five destructive ones where he talks in verse 8, anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk. Well, now we get to these five on how we're to love our neighbor. A heart of compassion. That means an inward, earnest affection for fellow believers. Oh, I know, it's easy for all of us just to read over those five things and just say, oh yeah, that's a good checklist. I hope I have them, or I think I do. But to really spend time thinking about them, we need to feel that for people around us, especially in our Christian community. A heart of compassion. Kindness is speaking to generosity and to goodness. We need to really enjoy serving each other. That's what the apostle is saying, to be kind. Humility is to consider others more important than ourselves. That's our famous definition, right, from Philippians chapter 2. But we have to really believe it. We can't just say it, but we have to really believe that other people are more important than ourselves. Gentleness refers to meekness and courtesy, willing to make concessions. Truly, really being concerned about other people is going to lead to a gentle manner. Patience. That's long-tempered endurance or leniency, as one person put it, leniency with one another is being patient. In other words, we have to trust that God's at work in each one of us, and he's going to do things in each one of us. He's going to make each one of us more and more like Christ. This is how Jesus loved his neighbor, and we're supposed to be more and more like that. People we love need to see these five things come from us. And people who need our love need to see them as well. And of course, the goal is perfection at the, end of the, at the end of our life, but in the meantime, it's just progress. That's the goal. The Holy Spirit continually makes progress in our lives, and it's proof that we are actually under renewal when people see renewal in our life. Now, the specific application of this then comes in verse 13. Bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so also you must forgive. So this is where these five qualities are shown to be at work. To bear one another with one another simply means to put up with one another. To forgive each other means to release each other from any cause of complaint. Those are standard definitions of those things. To bear with one another means to just basically put up with one another. 
And the second one, to forgive each other, means to graciously release people from a complaint that you have. So in other words, don't take offense easily and, and think that you're so important. We don't want to be overly sensitive people. We have too many people like that that suffer from that in our world, and we can set a different example. And we don't want to follow up on every grievance in our life either. That's pettiness. These are worldly values of being overly sensitive and petty. They're not Christian values. Proverbs 19.11 has always been helpful to me in this regard. Proverbs 19.11 says, A man's discretion makes him slow to anger, and it is his glory to overlook a transgression. Wonderful proverb, Proverbs 19.11. A man's discretion makes him slow to anger, and it is his glory to overlook a transgression. Of course, as we read this passage in Colossians, it's, not, it's like we don't have an option, right? I mean, Jesus forgave us, so we have to forgive. We must forgive. The only requirement Jesus had was a penitent heart. In Matthew chapter 6, he taught, Forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. For if you forgive men their transgressions, your heavenly Father will forgive you. But if you do not forgive men, then your Father will not forgive your transgressions. You see, a forgiven person is going to be a forgiving person. I heard that before. A forgiven person is going to be a forgiving person because he or she can, knows that, that they're in a continual state of mercy, a need for mercy from God. And so there can't be a place for holding grudges. I hope we know how radically different the world and the church are when it comes to talking about community, thinking about community, and actually living community, what that means. Oh, it's a great desire out there, but true community is only going to be found in its most glorious form in the church of Jesus Christ when we follow the work of the Spirit in our life. Well, then, love is the bond that leads to perfection in verse 14. And on top of these, or above all, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And so there's a lot of different translations here. You might have beyond all, or on account of, or in addition to, or above all. But I like the NIV the best here because it says overall. In other words, we stay with the clothing metaphor, right? You're supposed to put on these things. Well, now, after you put these five virtue pieces, pieces of virtue clothing on, you're supposed to put on top of that love because love holds them all together. Love is what makes them all work in our life and operate. It's the uniting bond of perfection, literally, the text says. It brings it all together. It brings the virtues together in our life, and it brings us together as Christians. It brings people together. And we have to remember, that again, that we can't just do the virtues. We can't just do them. We need to have a true love of God in our soul for others. That's how we're going to be able to do them. And when we be able to love in action, we get to see God's power at work. So, so I have a little assignment if you're interested, and uh, to think through the Calvary church directory, or maybe you have one, or online, or print it off for yourself, but uh, you know that another, another name for a church directory is a prayer list. You know, it's really the same thing, right? And so, just think, I mean, I've done this often in the past, but for whom, you know, as you read through the, the directory, for whom do you not feel compassion when you see their picture or read their name? Would you be willing to pray for God's grace to change you so that you could have a feeling of love for that person, of compassion? 
To whom, when you see that list, do you refuse to just give simple acts of kindness to? Would you be willing to pray that God would give you grace to move you to do something kind for that person? Is there someone on that list that you are just unwilling to serve in humility? Or would you be willing to pray to change so that you could love in humility? Is there someone on that list who you consistently oppose and refuse to be gentle with? Would you pray to change that you would be able to love in more gentleness? Are there those that you are not patient with or refuse to grant grace to and be lenient? Would you be willing to pray to change and to give more love and patience? Are there those that you refuse to put up with, people you refuse to forgive? Would you pray to God for the grace to change and give you more love to be a forgiving person? Pray to God for more grace and mercy and reaffirm your love for one another. This is part of how we we pursue and go after renewal in all of our lives at a personal level. It's these types of things with very practical application using the actual scripture, the words of the Bible, and using them to pray into our own soul when we're looking at real people and talking about them. So as Christians, we see right away in this passage this morning, we're supposed to display the character of Christ. Our new life in Christ is a life of continual renewal, and it's one of ultimate conformity to Jesus. And experiencing the blessings of a Christ-like community begins with each of us personally, and then it's going to become a reality in our life together. Well, second of all, we're supposed to live as a community of Christ. Verses 15 to 17, I'm going to read it again. And I want you to notice the outline. It's really simple. You'll see that the three verses are organized around the peace of Christ, the word of Christ, and the name of Christ. So, and let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you are called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. So how do we live as a community of Christians? by the ruling of the peace of Christ in our midst, by the indwelling of the word of Christ in our midst, by the glorifying of the name of Jesus Christ in our midst. So we'll look briefly at these in verse 15. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called into one body and be thankful. So of course this peace that's being talked about is the peace that we have because of the salvation that we have in Jesus Christ. Brings a peace into our restless souls that was all restless because of the sin that we couldn't get rid of. Restless because we're worried about the world that we think is out of control. It's the peace that Jesus brings into us, into our life, because we know him and we have a new life, we've been reborn. And so then we've been called to live as a body in the peace of Christ and to be thankful, to think and feel thankfulness for this. Now, I don't know how often you, I mean, we pray it all the time, and I'm glad we do, but I'm just, we pray things like, Lord, thank you for this church, or Lord, thank you for this body, or Lord, thank you for my brothers and sisters. But sometimes I think it's good to pause longer and to consider 
how thankful we really are and to enjoy togetherness. And as a result, this peace becomes a governing principle. That's what the apostle is saying here. It becomes this governing principle in the way we live together. And we always have to be asking questions like, how do we proceed in a manner that promotes the peace of Jesus? And when we talk about things like in Jesus' name or of Jesus Christ, the issue is the things that honor him. So it's not like peace is out there as its own little entity. Like, just like faith is not, you can't just have faith, you have to have faith in something, right, in Jesus. It's the same kind of an idea here. The peace that we want to promote in Christian churches is one where Jesus is honored, where we seek Jesus' will for the church, and where we ultimately just rest in him, because that's where it began, peace in Christ. And that's why, again, this is part of our series on contentment in Jesus. So peace in a church is a measurement of whether or not a church is living as the community of Christ. Just like the word will be in a moment and the name will be in a moment. But these are measuring lines. The second one, the word of Christ is to indwell our teaching and our worship in verse 16. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thanksgiving in your hearts to God. So the word that's being talked about, of course, is here the message of Jesus, the apostolic teaching in the New Testament, is to dwell in us, to be operative in us. It's to dwell in us richly with like an eager abundance and knowledge and experience. We want more and more and more. And this indwelling word will be seen in the way we teach one another and admonish one another. And so we're talking about a knowledge of the word that's experiential. Let me explain that briefly. We're not talking about knowledge of the word and just knowing the facts or knowing the theology. Well, those are necessary. But we're talking about here having a knowledge of the word where we've thought about the scripture, where we've practiced it, we've done it, and so we know it in a new and a better way, a deeper way, We're talking about knowing the word where we've prayed through it into our lives. And so we've experienced the word. So that's what I mean when we talk about an experiential knowledge. And when we have that kind of knowledge of the Bible, that's what allows us to positively and negatively apply Scripture well to one another's life. If the word dwells in us richly, then we're in a position where we can really help one another And without that, all we're really doing is giving human wisdom with Bible verses attached. And we need to be able to give each other better than that. Human advice is fairly weak, even if it looks Christian, in comparison to the guidance that comes from the power of the Word of God itself and that we can provide each other. So some simple applications would be just simply like how much intake do you have of the Word each week in your life. I mean, you're here this morning, that's good. You know, maybe you're in a small group, that's great. And maybe you spend a lot of personal time studying the scriptures, that's wonderful as well. Just take time to spend time in the Word and think about it. No shortcuts are here available to maturity and wisdom with the scripture. There aren't any. Um, There's no shortcut to being competent in sharing the scriptures with one another. We have to have a stronger faith in the Word of God, and it's like the difference a famous illustration is like the difference between a weak and a strong cup of tea. They both have the same ingredients, but 
It's the amount of steeping time that makes the difference and the blending and the strength. It's the same way with the Word of God and the Christian life. We have to have quality time also in the Word of God to enlit us and dwell us richly. Take your time in the Scriptures. You know, I know that many of us have read through the Bible plans, you know, and I love read through the Bible plans in a year, but I don't know about you, but I'm always behind. And uh, the reason I'm always behind is because I'm taking my time. Because I would rather learn the Scriptures more deeply than to just simply read it over. So take your time. Second of all, as the Word dwells in us richly, it impacts our worship together. And uh, it's seen here as well. So not only are we supposed to teach teach each other, we're supposed to sing with one another. And we're to sing with thankfulness or gratitude in our hearts. So worshiping is singing all out with our heart, with gratitude for God's grace in our life. And as we sing together, we stir one another up to sing even more. And I think, you know, we have a good illustration here. The way we worship at this church is because so often we get to just hear each other sing. And that's wonderful because it makes us want to sing louder ourselves. And the songs that we sing, as the scriptures say, could be psalms, hymns, or spiritual songs. No scholar knows precisely what each of these three terms refers to, but often when you hear people pontificate about them, you quickly find out it's just influenced by their own worship preferences. So, but most scholars are going to say that psalms refer to the psalms, and sung with stringed instruments, any type of an Old Testament song even, a song that speaks about the glory and the greatness of God. The hymns here refer to songs of praise, any type of a New Testament type of a song, if you will, that are songs about Christ, songs about redemption coming into its fullness, and that spiritual songs are spontaneous songs by the Holy Spirit, or that this last one is a general term that refers to the other two. In other words, sing psalms and hymns, sing songs that refer to the work of God in your life. It's a culmination of the list. In other words, don't waste your time singing secular songs. You should be singing songs about the greatness of your God and your salvation. The idea here is whatever kind of song you sing, whatever kind of praise you offer, make sure it's founded in the truth of the Word of Christ. And so the point here at this section, where we are in verses 15 and 16, is that there is a direct correlation, and I really want us to understand this, There's a direct correlation between our ability to teach each other well and our ability, you you may not believe this, but our ability to actually sing with more gratitude is based on the wealth of our doctrinal knowledge of Scripture, the depth that we have in the Scripture. And the more we experience the Word of God, not only will our teaching and admonitions of each other be richer, but our singing our delight in worship will be heightened the more we know what we're singing about. And so the operative word of God in a church is also a measurement of living as a community of Christ, just like peace as a ruling principle was. And finally, in verse 17, that God would be glorified, that Jesus would be glorified in all we do. Whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of our Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. So the last sentence is the summary of our life together. It's not a complicated statement. Everything we undertake together, in word and deed, everything we say, everything we do, it should be done under the name of Christ. And again, that means everything we say and do 
should reflect the character of Christ. Everything we say and do should be according to his will, and everything we say and do should be with the ultimate goal of pursuing his glory, not our own. And as we represent him, and we try to bring him glory moment by moment, we will find ourselves living more and more as a Christian community. And so in our plans here at Calvary Church, we want to be used by God greatly in the expansion of his kingdom, and so we need to seek God's glory in all that we do. And glorifying the name of Jesus is the measurement of living as a community of Christ. Just like peace, just like the word, so also is bringing glory to Jesus. So as Christians, again, our new life in Christ is one of continual renewal. We're being conformed to Jesus. And in this last section in verses 15 to 17, we're talking about here, experiencing the blessings of a community that's really Christ-like comes from being ruled by the peace of Christ, being indwelt richly by the word of Christ, and giving glory and thanksgiving to God through Jesus Christ. So this section of Scripture, Colossians 3, 12 to 17, it, it supplies us with the, really the bottom line in Christian living, and that's conformity to Jesus Christ. That's what our new life is all about. And so just to summarize, we learned that we're being conformed to Jesus in two ways. By the acquisition of his character in the first part of our passage this morning, and by experiencing true Christian community. God uses these things in our life to make us more like his son. And we praise God this morning because we're under continual renewal. It's not up to us to make it happen, right? God's spirit will do it in us. And we are continually under renewal, and we will show, we know, because we have our faith put in Jesus, that the beauty of Christ's love is going to shine more and more through us. And we know that we're under renewal, and we know that we will enjoy more and more his peace, the power of his word, and the glory of God in all things. You know, last Sunday when we looked at verses 5 through 11, uh, we concluded with an observation question that just simply said, as, as you look through verses 5 to 11, you see an attitude that the Apostle Paul puts forward. And that attitude is, how merciless are you going to be in dealing with sin in your own lives, in our own lives? And does our attitude and approach really match that? as you think through that passage. Well, in our passage today that we're looking at, verses 12 to 17, we could ask a similar question. Does our willingness to be conformed to Christ, both as individuals and as a community, match the zeal that we see here in verses 50, 12 to 17? The zeal here and our desire for that in our own lives and the lives of those around us. Now, Calvary Church is under continual renewal, being conformed to the image of Christ. That's what the Colossians series was all about. It's about who we are. It's about who we're going to be in the future. So may we not seek a human ideal for the church, going back to the quotation from Dietrich Bonhoeffer at the beginning, but rather let us seek according to God's plan to be a Christ-like community as we read in Colossians chapter 3. Let me pray for us. The Lord Jesus, we give you the praise and the glory for forming us as your own, for calling us to yourself out of a life and a world of sin to become holy and to become ultimately conformed to you, to calling us into a community where together we can pursue you and live out our life together. We do want to live our lives in a state of spiritual satisfaction, of peace, of fulfillment, of joy, of restfulness. And we know that we need to stop relying so much 
so often on our own efforts to try to produce this in our own lives. But we confess today that our confidence needs to be shifted and it needs to be put squarely upon the Holy Spirit in our life, that our confidence is not in ourselves, our resolve, our self-control, whatever things that we might use to try to mimic true contentment in Christ. But Lord Jesus, we need to find our rest in you. And we know that once we do, that the gospel is going to spill over into every aspect of our life. We're going to see good things, new good things, spring forth from our life in so many ways, in the way we think, the way we behave, the way we interact. We look forward to the gospel's continual transformation of us as we move forward throughout the rest of our life and the privilege we have to be a part of your church. And it's in your name we pray, Lord Jesus. Amen.